this time next week, or not next week, this time tomorrow, I am probably uh, going to be on a road, on the road, traveling to go see all my family. And I want you just to remember one thing. Look up at the word on the, on the screen, and I will be traveling in a car with possibly a screaming child. So this lesson is not so much for you, it's really for me, and to remind myself that this is something I've got to have tomorrow. I've got to learn what it is and uh, see where it goes, but peace. Isn't peace something that's just so elusive sometimes? It's something that just when you think you might have it grasped, that I've got peace now, it seems to slip away. Or the Lord decides, well, you think that's peace? try this. I don't know what it is, but it seems like it's just that it's so elusive. It's just hard to grab. The Society of International Law in London states that during the last 4,000 years, all right, I don't necessarily know how they do this research, but for the last 4,000 years, there has only been 268 years of world peace. Now, I'm sure they're missing some in there. I don't, I don't how, fully know how they come up with that number, but isn't that impressive that 268 out of 4,000, that's not very good of world peace. 85% of all history, all history that we read and understand concerns itself with war, not peace. There are, in those years, there have been over 8,000 peace treaties, all of which have been broken. Isn't that kind of sad? I think it, it's because true peace is not, it, it's not to be found outside of the human heart. We try to have peace around this world and peace in our families and peace in situations, but the truth of the matter is that peace is from within. Peace is an inside thing with a relationship, having that relationship with our Creator, God. Peace is not a state of mind or a circumstance in nature. You know, if everyone plays together nicely then that's peace. You know, if my, if my youngest, if Michaela, is quiet this whole uh, six-hour drive or whatever it's going to be tomorrow, then that'll be peace. No, that won't be peace. That'll be nice, but it won't be peace. At least not the right definition. It's a condition of the heart. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift of God. That's what peace is. There's a story whenever Jack Kennedy or JFK was president. Golda Meir was uh, premier of Israel, and Nikita Khrushchev was premier of the Soviet Union. The story goes like this. They all got together at a peace conference, and they decided to pray about the concerns on their heart. Well, Khrushchev asked God if there would ever be peace between the United States and Russia. And God answers him, says, not in your lifetime. Well, then Kennedy, Kennedy says, ask God, well, will there ever be peace in America between the blacks and the whites? And God answers him, not in your lifetime. So Goldemir asks God, will there ever be peace between the Arabs and the Jews? And God answers again, not in my lifetime. Ran across that, and it just kind of exemplified a little bit because I mean, we've been studying through Genesis uh, in our Sunday night service, and we see that it is, it is foretold before those two nations are even born, pretty much. And as they, as they come, that there will always be animosity between those two. But peace, 
how do we get that? It seemed to be on these, these world leaders' minds. How do we obtain peace? I think one of the most beautiful names that is given to God is this name. Romans 16.20 says the God of peace, but Isaiah 9.6 says it this way. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isn't that it was just a wonderful name? Prince of Peace. I like that. I like just the connotation that that has. Maybe you've seen this bumper sticker before. It says, no Jesus, no peace. And then under it, no Jesus, no peace. I think that's more than just a cute saying on a bumper sticker. I think it to be biblically accurate that peace comes through a knowledge of Jesus. That's where peace can only come from is this knowledge of Jesus. And it's more than that. It's a relationship. If you don't know Jesus and know him, there's not going to be any peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus speaking here. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. But why do we have this peace through Jesus? You know, what is it about this man that gives us peace? I'd like to think on that for, for a while on, on myself. You know, I would, I would be fine if someone were to just say, this man gives you peace. And maybe I could accept that, but I'm a, I'm a questioning personality. I question a lot of things. I'm going to say, but why? What is it about Jesus that brings peace to this world? Let's read as, it stu- as we already have in Luke 2. The Savior... Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I like that scripture, but before we get into analyzing that, Epictetus, he's a philosopher in the first century. He wrote a reference of the, to the Pax Romana. Pax Romana meant uh, the Roman peace. Roman peace throughout that existed in the civilized world whenever Rome was in control. Or at least that's what Caesar would boast about. The Pax Romana. This philosopher said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even outward peace. Isn't that true? Though the emperor could, could grant peace from war, he can't grant, he can't change the peace within me. Real peace, true peace, not just this external peace. I think the philosopher just struck that on the head. I think it's, though, a starting place to kind of understand a little bit, though, about this, this statement here and what is happening. How can an angel pronounce peace among men with whom he, God, that is being, who God is pleased, when we know full well that God has really no cause or reason to be pleased with humans? What do we have to offer God? You know, if you think about it, God, when he created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, that's like epitome of peace in my world. You know, there's, there's no fights, there's no quarreling, 
Uh, apparently, they didn't have marital issues. Everything was good there, and God walked among them. But then Adam and Eve decided that wasn't good enough, and they sinned. And that sin created the separation, created the, this animosity even between God and humans. Not that he didn't love any less, it's just there could not be peace between the two because the humans failed. The humans were fallen. And God is the complete opposite. You can't have peace with that. And so I think that, that really is kind of the understanding is how, how can he proclaim peace here? Well, maybe our first clue is in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Immediately following those words is whenever the host of angels join this messenger, this herald angel, and begin to sing God's praises and his blessings. So the first clue is, is that God's glory and man's peace lie in that manger. Have you ever thought of that? That there in that manger was God's glory and man's peace. That's a lot to take in, especially in one small little child. You know, this angel wasn't just proclaiming just a, a peace that we may put on a Christmas card. You know, may you have peace with this season. It, there was a deep peace that was happening here. It wasn't even the peace, that, the, like the peace sign of, of the 60s and that the hippies would say, uh, sticking up the two fingers in, the, in a V, and whether it be through their fog-based uh, cloud, however that worked, saying, you know, peace, man. It's not even that kind of peace. This peace... This announcement of peace was, was really a lasting peace on earth. Well, especially to the hearts of those who are redeemed in Christ. As it says, peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. For, for those who remain outside of Christ, outside of that, that relationship, that peace can't be there. That peace is missing because it came through a baby. Through a baby that became a man and that did so much for us as we know the rest of the story there. But if you think about it as well, the, the angel couldn't have been pronouncing a peace on earth because we, it doesn't take too much to look that just a little bit later, Herod had all the babies in that area, all the male babies killed. Or a little bit later, John the Baptist is arrested and beheaded the Pharisees and Jesus have plenty of issues going on. And in fact, Jesus ends up dying. This is not a time of peace. It's not an external peace, at least. How, how can this all happen? And the other thing is the angel isn't predicting some future peace. You know, Jesus came and there'll be this future peace. Like many might believe of uh, a new millennium coming. Jesus comes back or or whether he comes at the beginning or the end of this reign, but for a thousand years, there'll be peace. A lot of that is understood in the book of Revelation of what, where people go with that. But that's not what he's predicting here either. It's not, not this, this thing in the future, but the angel is talking about something that was happening that very night. Something that happened that very night is that peace all of a sudden became available. And not peace of the world. This baby is born. There is peace. This peace of, with God 
for the men of earth. This peace could only come through one thing, a Savior. And that Savior has been born in a manger in Bethlehem. That's where the peace is coming from. That's why when this angel announces the peace to, on earth has come, he's referring to the Prince of Peace on this earth. Romans 5, 1 through 2 states a little farther. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's not by merit of our own, but entirely by God's grace. Not by effort of our own, but in spite of our sinful efforts. Not by desire of our own, but according to His pleasure, God sent His Son, and in so doing, complete, uh, doing so in a thorough and completed life, death, and resurrection of Christ, through that whole process, that brings peace to us. A peace that is of our heart. You know, Jesus came as a bridge or mediator, or as 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation was one of those words that I didn't really run across ever until I was in college studying to, you know, with, in the ministry. It was one of those words I still, I don't know where it comes from, Everything that, I said, uh, that I've seen on it says, well, it's propitiation. That's where it comes from. It doesn't have any roots that I am familiar with. It's not something I fully understand. But if you're looking in your translation, it might say he is the atoning sacrifice. The whole idea of propitiation is that for our sins, we have all these sins in our life, the sins of the world, the sins of my own, uh, whatever that may be. I've got these stacked up, and they are leading me down a path that is to destruction. And Jesus, as the perpetuation of our sins, is standing in the way. He stands there and stops the, the flow and says, no more. I'm going to fulfill this. The atoning sacrifice is even more so this idea of I am going to complete the requirements of your sin. I'm going to totally complete it in such a way that it won't even be remembered. Doesn't that give us peace? Doesn't that give you peace knowing that Jesus can do that with our sin, with our lives? The peace that God grants us is, is a peace in all aspects of our lives. It's real peace. Nothing artificial. You know, many times we think, when we think of peace, we might think of the Jewish word, uh, people, uh, the Jews might use is shalom. And we uh, define that a lot of times as just peace. But really, uh, a more accurate explanation would be order and well-being. Peace is good, but order and well-being in your peace. And that's, that's a, they're, they're really saying then, may your life have order. May it have well-being. May you have a sense of security. May you have a sense of foundation under your feet. And that may be what we mean when we say peace, but it's even deeper. It's a deep understanding. That kind of peace, I think that kind of peace there that Shalom is talking about is really, it's a result of obedience with God. There's no other way to have that kind of peace. It's just this result of obedience that He is in control. 
God is in control. And whenever we realize that, that gives us a sense of peace and an understanding. This peace fills us. And I said it gives us an understanding, but in a totally different way. We may not understand the peace that it gives. It's this peace that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace surpasses all understanding. I think that is amazing. That that kind of peace came and was in a little baby. And this angel proclaimed one night of saying, it's here. It's in him. You will find that peace. This peace, I'll explain it a little further. Maybe you'll, you can catch on with this. In 1871, the city of Chicago was nearly destroyed by fires, known as the Great, uh, Great Chicago Fire. Over 300 people died from the flames and approximately 10,000 were left homeless. One of the heroes in the aftermath was Horatio Gates Spafford. Spafford was an attorney. He lost a great deal of real estate in the fire. This was not a good thing. He had a very financial uh, loss there, but it also combined with an untimely death of his son around the same time there. Spafford, for two years after the fire, for at least two years after the fire, he helped unselfishly helped to assist the needs of of the homeless, the impoverished, the grief-stricken, those that were affected by the fire. And this kind of gained him a reputation around the town and around the city of Chicago of being a very devout and sincere Christian. After about two years of of working like that, November 1873, Spafford and his family decided to take a vacation. They decided to head to Europe, and they were... uh, they were very good uh, friends, a loyal friend and supporter of Dwight L. Moody. You may recognize that name uh, with a lot of things that he did. Well, they decided to join up Moody in one of his evangelistic campaigns in England. So they were going to go to England, join him for a little bit, and then head on to the rest of Europe and take a vacation. Well, there at the last moments before they were about to leave on their ship, uh, urgent business called Horatio back to Chicago. And the decision was made, he just let, let his wife, Anna, and their four daughters head on this trip. Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanita. They were going to head on. And he was just going to catch up a day or so later. It wasn't going to be a big deal. Except that the ship that they let the, his wife and daughters left on never made it to England. Outside of New, Newfoundland, the ship collided with a, an English sailing vessel. Ship sank within 15 minutes killing 226 people in the process. His girls would not survive. Mrs. Spafford would be one of 47 to survive that crash. And that's it. She finally, she reached England, sent a telegram back to her husband. And the telegram started with, saved, alone. What What shall I do? I can't imagine Horatio's despair at this point. I have two girls. He's already lost one boy. Now he lost four girls. Well, he, he catches the next ship out. And it is said that uh, he, uh, he asked the captain to let him, let him know whenever they're passing over the waters, approximately where his daughters died. And 
in, at that moment, it's reported that due to his deep sorrow mingled with unwavering faith in, in God's goodness, he penned these words to the now famous hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't understand that kind of peace. That is a peace that surpasses my understanding. I don't know how a man who has lost so much, especially children, his flesh and blood, five of them, how can he write words like this, that it is well with my soul? I think Philippians is right. God's peace is a peace that passes understanding. Horatio was a man of God, and he had that peace. That peace that only Christ can give on that night of Christ's birth. God made a way for us to have peace with Him. God, God allowed an opportunity for us to have that peace. That's why that word is thrown around during this season is the peace that this season should bring. Well, it should because Christ's birth brought peace. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 5. But it's not just this, it's more than just an external peace, it's more than an internal peace, it's this, it's this peace with God, and it's this peace in our daily walk, that we know who's in control, and who's, who we're following, whose we are, and that gives us peace. On that night in Bethlehem, God gave us peace with himself, and through him, peace with others. That peace of God can really do so much in our lives. It can change so many things if we have it and we let it take hold of our lives and we wrap ourselves into it. It makes the situations that we're dealing with seem so much easier. If not easy, that may not be the right word. It, it may not be easier, but we can at least understand where we are, whose we are, and that we're in God's hands. Because when you're in God's hands, you're in the safest place. You're in the most peaceful place that has ever been allowed for humans to enter. So if you're there, bask in it. Enjoy that peace of God. Let that peace reign through you with, with your relationships and with everything you come in contact with. But if you're not there, if you don't have that kind of peace that comes through that relationship with Jesus, then you can have that. You can have it by coming, coming forward as we're about to stand and sing, and you can come forward and be immersed in the waters of baptism and start in that relationship with Christ. Or if you already are in that relationship, but you just don't feel that peace, you can still come forward and you can let it out. Let out what's hindering you. And we will pray with you and for you. And we, God will welcome you as he welcomes every one of us into his peace. If you're in subject to the invitation, if you're in any need, Please come forward as we stand and sing.